You are listening to a sermon by Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church in Escondido, California. For more information about New Life, visit us online at newlifepca.com. That's N-E-W-L-I-F-E-P-C-A dot com. Okay, well we're going to start uh, this uh, Christmas preaching series at the beginning of Matthew's account of Jesus' life and ministry, which also happens to be the very beginning of the New Testament. Uh, You may have seen uh, the title of the sermon in your bulletin. I I, I ask whether this is a boring beginning. Um, Well, it's going to sound strange to you, uh, and it might bore some of you. I understand that. I'm sympathetic to that. But please stay tuned. Because if you muscle with me through this reading, there there will be some encouraging truth in here. So it's Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. And uh, it's printed for you in the bulletin if you don't have your Bibles. And I'm going to ask you if you're able and willing to, to please stand for the reading of God's Word. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Solomon, and Solomon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, Joram the father of Uzziah, Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadduk, and Zadduk the father of Akim, and Akim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eliezer, and Eliezer the father of Matan, and Matan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, I think we need to pray before we get started on this one. Uh, Gracious God, as we come to this uh, strange to us text, 
Uh, May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our minds together be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I was almost killed by a genealogy like this. Um, Some of you know the story. It was my first year of seminary. Uh, I was commuting between Irvine and Escondido every day. Uh, As a first-year student, I had to read through the uh, whole Bible. So I was trying to get a leg up on that reading by listening to an audio version in my car as I commuted back and forth to seminary. And I got to one of those genealogies in the Old Testament, you know, so-and-so begat, so-and-so, and so-and-so begat, so-and-so. And it literally put me to sleep on the I-5 through Camp Pendleton at 70 miles an hour. I will, I will admit to 70, as far as I'll go. Uh, I was awakened by the caution bumps on the uh, shoulder, swerved back wide-eyed into traffic, uh, so I don't have a great history with genealogies, uh, and, I, and I am sympathetic to those of you who uh, may have been put to sleep by that reading. That's why I had you stand. But, um, but, but uh, I have discovered that if you, if you take a little time to get nerdy with these things, uh, that they can yield some pretty amazing and encouraging truth. And what I'd like to do this morning is, is look at three things that this genealogy shows you. Sure, it shows us much more than that, but I'm going to focus on three things. First, we're going to see how this genealogy distinguishes Christianity from virtually all other religions. Uh, second, uh, we're going to see how this genealogy underscores Jesus uh, as uh, someone you, you not only have to know, but someone you want to know. And then third and finally, we're going to see how this genealogy reveals some of the character of God himself. The character of God is, is, is here. Um, so first, how this genealogy distinguishes Christianity from virtually all other religions. You know, it it is uh, telling that Matthew's account does not begin a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And now, if it did, uh, what would would you say he was writing? Star Wars, yeah. Specifically correct. Uh, Right? Science fiction, fantasy, right? Fairy tale. Um, uh, But even more to the point... uh, Matthew's account of Jesus' life and ministry does not start with the Sermon on the Mount either, right? It doesn't start with teaching. It doesn't start with the Ten Commandments. That would be a good place to start, but it doesn't. It doesn't start with rules. Uh, and, And... it doesn't start with you know Jesus as sort of this mystical rabbi advocating spiritual practices like uh, you know prayer and fasting and meditation. It doesn't start with spiritual disciplines. So what does it start with? It starts with history. Right? That's that's what a genealogy is. It's literally human history. That's not to say, of course, that there isn't teaching and there isn't law, and there aren't uh, uh, spiritual disciplines in Christianity. 
But, but Matthew is emphasizing its historical nature. Here's the point. Christianity, as over against virtually every other religion, does not fundamentally teach that you must do something for God, but that God has entered human history and done something for you. To be a Christian is to line up your life with what God has already historically done for you in and through Jesus Christ. And because Christianity is, is historical, as Matthew wants to, to know, then Christmas has a context. You know, the, the Christmas event, the manger scene thing, right, is our understanding of it has been influenced by art. It's been influenced by Christmas cards, uh, by Christmas pageants. Um, and I think probably for many of you, uh, Jesus' birth, the, the manger scene, uh, seems like a kind of isolated, frozen in time, uh, standalone event, sort of removed from everything else and, and remote and unrelated to you, right, in terms of time and culture. But by situating the coming of Jesus in a genealogy, right, right at the beginning, Matthew is correcting our vision of the manger scene. You know, the... Um, the video progress bar at the bottom of a, like a YouTube video, right? You, you can, if you, if you can, if you advance it with your cursor or, or reverse it with your cursor, uh, you see a little image frame pop up over the progress bar, right? Which is sort of a freeze frame of where, where you are in the, in the video along the, uh, along the timeline. Well, Think of Jesus' birth as one of those image frames, right? In a longer video called Human History. That's, that's really, you know, Matthew is, is situating it in, in a timeline. The implication, of course, is that um, you can't avoid Jesus. You can't escape him. You can't, you, 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 you are forced to deal with Jesus. Why? Because he's entered into human history. Everything after human history is affected by his presence. You have to deal with him. So, that's first point, how this genealogy is, is distinguishes Christianity from virtually all others. It's about history, and it's about God coming into history and doing something for us, not teaching what we have to do to reach God, okay? Second, second thing. Let's see how this genealogy underscores Jesus, uh, at, not only as a, someone you, you, you need to know, but as someone you want to know. Jesus is a magnetic character. He draws people to him, and, and this genealogy, I think, shows us how... Um, Three things that make Jesus a have-to-know and a want-to-know person. First, he's a fixer. 
fixer. What do I mean by that? Uh, well, look at verse 1 that starts with, Matthew starts his, uh, his account as saying, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Now that word translated genealogy, and it's a good, that's a good translation, it's a, it, the word can mean, has, has a range of meaning, genealogy is one of them, but it's literally, the, the, literally in Greek, it is a form of the Greek word genesis, or genesis, sorry Greek scholars, um, genesis, right? This is the book of the genesis of Jesus. Uh, in, you know, and in this way, Matthew is a little bit like John, right? In John's gospel, there's, there's, a, there's a nod to Genesis in the way John begins his gospel, right? When he says, in the beginning, picking up the very words of Genesis. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But here, Matthew is doing something similar. He's saying, He's using a word that's signaling that this is the genesis of Jesus, that with Jesus, something new's happening. There's a, f- a new beginning, a fresh start. Now, don't misunderstand, right? It's not genesis of Jesus in the sense that he's now, at Christmas, he was created, right? Jesus is not a created being. He w- he's the one person in history that preexisted his birth, but he does, in this, in, in this Genesis sense, he does come into the world as the new Adam. Jesus is the new Adam, the second Adam, the final Adam. Paul unpacks this in, in some of his letters. Jesus came to fix what the first Adam and his descendants, which includes you and me, have screwed up. Right? And here's another difference with Christianity and other religions. So much of other religions are about escaping this life, escaping our bodies, escaping um, earth, right? Christianity is exactly the reverse. It is, it is God coming in Jesus to renew and restore the earth, to renew and restore life, to renew and restore bodies, our bodies. And the exciting thing is, as Christians, you know, we, we are enlisted by, uh, by him in that cosmic reclamation project. We are, um, that's part of what we are doing when we're, when we're you know, witnessing and share, sharing the, the story uh, about Jesus to our friends and family. So first, he's a fixer. That's why you not only need to know him but want to know him second you, he, uh, you, you, you need to know him and you want to know Jesus because he's royalty and we, we make a big deal about royalty in America we'd say we don't like royals but all, when they show up all, the press fawns over them all the time right just seen that with Prince William and Kate uh, and it's true, right? If there's a king, we, we, it's, it would probably be good to know him. And Jesus is a king. He's royalty, but he's a special kind of king, as we'll unpack right here. He's, he's the Christ king, right? Um, and this is actually one reason why, why, another reason why Matthew starts his 
gospel with a genealogy. You think about, for us, genealogies are a hobby, right? They're a matter of some personal interest, maybe, uh, but they don't really affect us. Uh, if, if you, you know, start researching your family tree and genealogy, if you find out you have, you know, some weirdo in your line uh, back there, it doesn't really affect you. I mean, you're not, you're not uh, judged, you're not going to lose your job because, uh, you, you know, you've got some ingrate in your line. Uh, but that's not true with royalty, right? It's very different with royalty. Uh, for, for, if you're royalty, uh, a genealogy is your calling card. It's, it's your resume. It's your CV. I mean, you, you have to establish your royalty by your bloodline. Uh, and that's exactly what Matthew is doing here for Jesus. Um, again, going back to verse 1, right? This, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Right? Why does he say that? Well, it was necessary. He's establishing in this genealogy that, that Jesus was descended from David because when Jesus was born, there was an ancient promise. It was already an ancient promise by the time Jesus was born. It was a thousand-year-old promise when Jesus was born that that the uh, uh, that the Christ King would come from the line of David. So, so that's, he's establishing that here, and he does. Um, but more than that, also in verse 1, he's called the son of Abraham. That refers back to an even more ancient promise, 2,000 years old uh, at the time Jesus was born. Uh, and, and that is that uh, you know, Abraham was promised that, uh, that through his seed, uh, the whole world would receive a blessing. There would be a worldwide blessing would come through his his seed, and that seed it turns out to be, of course, Jesus Christ. And, and so Matthew is establishing here by this genealogy Jesus' royal credentials. He's he's uh, he is in the line of Abraham, and he is also in the line of David. Uh, but he is also not just a king, any king. He's the Christ king, right? Three times Matthew refers to Jesus here with that, that title, Christ. It's not his name. Uh, people think Jesus Christ, first and last name. No, it's, it, Christ is a title. Uh, you see it in verse 1, you see it in verse 16, and you see it in verse 17. Um, and uh, Christ is the Greek word for Messiah, uh, the, the Hebrew word Mashiach is, the, the Greeks would say Christos, uh, Christ. Um, so Jesus is uh, not just this, this king in the line of David, he's not, and, and, and in the line of Abraham. He is also the long promised, long waited for, long prayed for Messiah, right? The, the one uh, who would come to save God's people and judge the world and, and, and set the world right and bring justice and fairness and live and reign uh, on uh, the planet with his people forever. Right? Picking up all those messianic strands of promise in the Old Testament. 
Um, so it's important. That we, we need to know that about Jesus. But the want to know part uh, comes from how Jesus would accomplish his messianic mission. How Jesus would be the Messiah. How he would accomplish that salvation. By calling him the Christ, what, what Matthew is, is saying is that this is the one who's coming, who isn't coming on a, you know, uh, on a tank. He's not coming on a steed. Uh, he's not coming with an army. This is one uh, who is going to save his people by being crushed for us. Right, by being put to grief for us, by being wounded for us, by being led to slaughter like a lamb for us, by being cut off from the land of the living for us. What kind of king does that? None. Except Jesus. As John prayed today. I mean, Jesus didn't hold himself above us. He became one of us and in fact went under us and it comes under us to serve us and to lift us up. What a king, right? So he's a need-to-know, want-to-know person because he's a fixer, Jesus is. He's, he's, he's the Christ king. And the third reason you need to know him and want to know him, and I just, I've sort of hit on it already, is that Jesus is the ultimate in approachable. Which is which no king ever is, right? You, can you get close to, to, to any king as a common person? No. It's almost by definition a king is un, unapproachable. Remember in the book of Esther in the Bible, if you approach the king without him inviting you, that was a death sentence, right? Kings were by definition unapproachable. But Jesus is the ultimate in approachability. Maybe the best thing about this genealogy is who is in it. Right? We just sang, oh, come all you unfaithful. We could, we, you know, we're really singing about the people in this genealogy. When Jesus came to planet Earth, right, he, he chose to come into a family line that broke down every expected barrier. Right? Here's a king. Here's the Messiah. What, you know, imagine the, the, the caliber family he's going to come from. Well, he broke down every expected barrier, right? He broke down gender barriers. That gets talked about a lot when we look at Matthew's uh, genealogy, right? Against all convention, uh, genealogies almost never mentioned women. Uh, this genealogy celebrates five women. Um, Jesus broke down racial barriers. Right? Most of the women in, in the genealogy were Gentiles, Moabites, Canaanites, people who by law were excluded from Jewish worship. And there they are in Jesus' line. Right? Their blood flowing through his veins. Um, Jesus broke down moral barriers. Big, big time, right? Um, you, you've got uh, a lot of morally 
questionable people in Jesus' line. Uh, there's Judah, right, uh, who sold his brother into slavery, later engaged in an incestuous relationship with his daughter-in-law, Tamar. Rahab was a prostitute. Jacob was a deceiver and liar. David, right, the, the singer of Israel, was a violent, wife-stealing adulterer and murderer. A lot of these guys who knew better but were idol worshipers. They knew God, but they nevertheless worshipped idols and led Israel into idol worship. Jesus broke down moral barriers. And he broke down socioeconomic barriers. There are wealthy kings in this line. There are also poor blue-collar workers. And he broke down the what I would call the worldly importance line, right? That you know, there are people in this line who were are important as the world would measure importance, right? They're they're well known, they're influential, but there are also people in this genealogy who are completely anonymous. I mean, the only reason we know they existed at all is because they're in the genealogy. We don't know who they are. What's the point? Well, here it is. With Jesus, there is no difference between king and carpenter, white collar and blue collar, rich or poor, man or woman, moral or immoral, educated or uneducated, messed up or put together. We all have equal standing before Jesus. So, believer... You can approach him. Sometimes we forget that. You can approach him. And if you're not a believer today, know that Jesus is approachable. You can approach him. You never have to feel with Jesus like you're intruding, like you're wasting his time, like you're going where you have no business being. As Robert Capon put it well, Jesus came for the last, the lost, the least, the little, and the dead. Amen. Those are the people he owns. Those are the people he loves. Those are the people he saves. And that's what Matthew's wanting you to hear in this genealogy. All right, so that's that's second. That's that's why Jesus is a need-to-know person and a want-to-know person. This is a this is, the, this is the king you want to know. What, what, king, what king operates like Jesus? Now finally, third, this uh, genealogy reveals some of the character of God himself. Um, Matthew points out in verse 17, right, the last verse we read there, that this genealogy has three sections, right? In the first section... Starts at Abraham, goes to David, verses 1 through 6. And and that section, if you look at it, really highlights God's mercy. It's showing you God's merciful character. Now there's mercy just dripping through this whole genealogy. But it's it's especially on display in the first section. Um, Starting with Abraham, right? I mean, Abraham is not is not in this line because he was so godly. 
And because, you know, God looked around and said, you know, there's, there is a man who is really worshiping me. You know, God went to him when he was worshiping idols in southern Iraq. Right? For no other reason than his mercy. God came to Abraham. And then, right, there's Jacob, Judah, Tamar, Rahab, David, right? All profoundly sinful, unfaithful people who nevertheless, surprisingly maybe, received mercy from a holy God. And that's good news. Good news for us who need it. Then in the second section, right, from David to the Babylonian exile, that verses 7 through 11, what you see on display, pre, you know, again, lots of things, but what, what I think the focus is, is God's justice. Right? So God is merciful, he's full of mercy, but he is also a God of justice, right? Be, where does this, this section builds to what? To a point in time when the ten northern tribes are gone. Gone in judgment. Right? Assimilated into the Assyrian Empire. And the, the two remaining southern tribes have just been carted off to Babylon for a 70 year disciplinary process. Right? For their disobedience. God is just. He will judge those who reject him and he will discipline his own people when they disobey him. Now, a lot of people don't like to think about this. I mean, you know, they will say, if, and I have friends that say it, you know, um, they say, I don't want to worship your God. My God is, a, is, is all mercy. He's just all mercy, right? Um, well, if you think about it, mercy without justice is what? It's just, it's slush. Right? You're a, it's a, but on the other hand, justice without mercy is harsh. But God is not either, right? He's not slush. He's not some cosmic Santa Claus. Uh, but he isn't harsh either. He's not some tyrant up there just waiting to, to uh, you know, mete out his justice. He is merciful and he is just simultaneously. And if you want to see a beautiful demonstration of that, look at the cross of Jesus. Look at Jesus hanging on the cross and there you see both the mercy and the justice of God, right? Mercy to us. Why? Because someone else is dying in our place. Someone is taking our penalty. That's merciful. Just. God is meeting out his justice, the death penalty, for, un, for unholiness and sin. But oh, thankfully, mercifully, he puts that penalty on his son. Jesus takes the justice of God. So the cross is a beautiful demonstration of both the mercy uh, and the justice of God. And you know, the fact that God is also a God of justice and judgment means that what you and I do matter. It matters, right? Our, our conduct matters. Our lives matter. 
What we do with our lives matters. You know, we're, listen, we're saved by the mercy of God alone. Grace alone. Completely undeserved, completely unearned. And this genealogy, show, if, if, if genealogy shows nothing else, it certainly shows that, right? But that doesn't mean, having been saved by God's mercy, that we sit back and we revel in that grace, as amazing as it is, and just keep on living as we always lived. Right? As blood-bought people of Jesus, as ones who know we are alive because Jesus was crushed for us, what do we do? We rise up and honor uh, our king. Um, not earning anything, but honoring him, thanking him, spreading the word about him in return for the merciful salvation, but costly salvation uh, that he has given to us. Um, and one commentator I, I ran across suggested that, uh, you know, one of the things we do, we ought we do in response to the salvation we've received is tell tell others about it and 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 this commentator suggested we ought to continue the genealogy and and it's it's true right you could go on with the genealogy and Jesus called Paul and Paul called Timothy and someone called you and you must call someone else what we do matters as we respond to God's mercy so, so we've seen so far that God is merciful, God is just, at the same time, third section, verses 12 through 16, highlights God's character of faithfulness, right? And, and, and it, you see that faithfulness because what's happening in the final section is that the ancient promises referred to back up in verse 1 are f- finally fulfilled, how? By the birth of Jesus the Christ. God is faithful. He keeps his word. He keeps his promises. You can count on him. One other point on God's faithfulness before we stop here. Um, What do we make of this 14, 14, 14 thing? Right, verse 17. Um, he says there are 14 generations in each of these sections. Uh, and there, there are, as you read, the, as, as you read it, uh, but in historical reality, the historical record will demonstrate, and it, even in, right, the historical record in the Bible will demonstrate, that there weren't precisely 14 generations in each of those, uh, those time periods. Um, Matthew constructed, deliberately constructed his genealogy this way to make a theological point. And the, the, the Jewish, in Jewish, the Jewish mindset would have understood this. They would have understood what Matthew was doing. We're so locked into linear thinking, chronology, you know, complete data sets. That that uh, you know that any sort of uh, genealogy has to include. Everybody. Well, it, that's never. That's not true with with Hebrew genealogies, and and he's not making a chronological point here. He's making a theological point. Um, and and as I said, it might be veiled to us, but but his Jewish 
readers would have understood that. Uh, Think about it. 14 is what? It's twice seven. And, And seven is, in Jewish thought, the number of completeness and perfection. So what we have in each of these three sections uh, of the genealogy is perfection squared, right? Um, What's the theological point he's making? Well, that God is faithfully and God powerfully and faithfully superintended every detail of history to bring about exactly what he promised, exactly what he willed. The coming of the Messiah at just the right time and the saving of his people. And nothing stopped it, right? Not not human failure, sin, half-heartedness, moral compromise, or just the normal year-in, year-out, everyday life and work and waiting of people, as well as God's judgments and God's disciplines. God takes all of that, weaves all of it in, and manages to perfectly fulfill his promises. Nothing gets in the way of his will. He'll take our failure, he'll take our sin, he'll take our compromises and, 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 and weave them together to accomplish ultimately his will, which Paul tells us is good, always good, pleasing, and perfect. Even when we don't see how it's going to happen, and boy, you know, a lot of us are in that situation right now, I mean, you're looking at life and, and you're and you're facing all kinds of trouble and loss, and you don't see a way out, you don't see a way through. How, how is this going to happen? Well, that's, that's one of the points Matthew wants you to see. He says, look at this genealogy. What a mess. Look at these people. Tripping over themselves, failing, sinning. And what happened? God fulfilled his purposes perfectly. You can be confident that he will do that with you, with us, right? Listen, when you see Jesus in the manger and then Jesus on the cross and then Jesus coming out of his tomb and Jesus ascending to his throne where he now reigns, we can know that God is faithful. All right? And that's what this table is going to preach to us right now, right? The costly faithfulness of God. So let's go to the table. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this uh, Christmas genealogy, Uh, this good word, weird word, but a good word. Um, And now as we come to your table, Lord, um, I pray that your spirit would truly commune with us in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido. Please visit us in Escondido, California, or online at newlifepca.com. New Life Presbyterian Church Escondido reserves all copyrights as applicable by law. Thank you for listening.